0: Well, good morning. And those online, good morning. I'm glad that you're with us today. I love when I see young people who love Jesus. I'm so encouraged when I see young people who have such a passion for the Lord and are using what God's put in them for his glory and our benefit. And I trust you have that same appreciation. Okay okay I want to talk today um about miracles. Anybody like miracles? You know those moments where you, God intervenes in the in the normal flow of life. Where where time is just going by and, and then God just does something. And uh, and it's something only he can do. That's what makes it a miracle. Everything God does to to us, is miraculous. It's just what He does. But to us, anything the divine does that we become aware of becomes a miracle to us. We're in a series I've called Backstage, and we're just trying to pull out of scripture, different different times where Jesus had more private or off-to-the-side kind of conversations with people, and trying to glean out of those conversations things that could be relative to our lives today. It could be helpful in, in building our lives today. And um, today we want to look at one of the passages where it's, it's a pretty well-known um, occasion and, and miracle that Jesus performed. Uh, now, understand, this is not a message that's it's a how-to kind of thing. All right, when you go home today, you're not going to be able to say, well, here's five steps and, and miracles happen. It's, it's not formulaic um, because that's not how miracles happen. Um, there's a reason God did everything he did in scripture in multiple different ways. It's a reason Jesus did what he did and the miracles he performed in different ways and at different times, even though the end result might've been the same. And and I think because he, he knows us that if he did anything the same way twice, we would make it a formula and we'd write books about it and we'd have seminars about it and, and, you know, training sessions, uh, God does everything unique according to his will, his way, his pleasure, um, and, and miracles are, are the same. Now, there, there's one interesting point about miracles, that he often, and look through Scripture, when, when God does the miraculous kinds of things, he often uses people in some fashion. In, in some way, he employs people to play a part in what it is he's doing he allows us to be around it. He allows us to sort of get our fingerprints under his in in some of the activities. Now, he does the miracles. We don't have that ability. But he often includes us. So if you have your Bibles, go to the book of Mark and the sixth chapter. Father, I pray you bless your word today. You have something you... One, would like to speak to every one of us out of your word, and I pray that you accomplish that in us. I pray that you build us today in faith, in understanding. I pray you build us in our journey and our walk with you in Christ's name. Amen. Mark 6, okay we're just going to kind of work through, instead of me reading the whole text, we're going to work through it a verse or verse or two at a time and, and, and just just unfold the story and, and see what we might be able to to learn or glean from it um, by way of setting it's been a ministry whirlwind okay a, a lot has been happening. Jesus has launched his ministry he is he has been out and about and word is getting out and um, his, his his notoriety is growing and crowds are growing he um, we're at a time where Jesus has, has sent the 12 out, two by two. He sent them on an evangelistic tour. And, and he gave them his name. He gave them his authority. He gave them his anointing. And they went out, and they found that in his name they were able to do things that he was doing. And, and this is a time where they're coming back. All right? They've been out. On this ministry tour, and now they 're coming back and verse six um, uh, or verse thirty of of chapter six of Mark it says, "The apostles returned to Jesus, told him all that they had done, and taught. This was an exciting time Th- this was This is one guy interrupting the other to try and tell his story. oh yeah, well, this happened well you, I, got, I can beat that this happened I, and and they 're giving reports. Of the authority, the results of the authority and power that Jesus had given to them. And they're telling, giving testimonies of how the, the sick were healed and, and demons were cast out and lepers were cleansed, and they're they're giving these, these testimonies, one after another after another, um, all because Jesus sent them out. There's something about being sent. Before we move through the message, I I want to pause here. There's something about being sent. There's something about knowing that you are sent someplace. There's there's an empowerment that goes along with that. When I grew up, um, how many of you remember corner stores? There used to be a thing called corner stores, and they were stores on a corner in your neighborhood. And so we had a corner store and it was called Easton's. That was the last name of the family that owned the store. And my mother would send me to Easton's. And when I went into Easton's, and she would say, Well, we need bread, we need milk, and we need this. And, and I'd go with my list and I would get those things, I would order those things, and they would give them to me. And I would leave. And I had no question. When I went in that I was going to get the things that I need to get, and there was going to be no problems. Um, and it, it, they don't do this now and, and then. but Mrs. Easton would, you know, she'd be writing in her little paper notebook, what I'm buying, what I'm getting. I'm not buying anything. I'm just getting it, because I was sent. And I had the authority to get those things, and she would charge it to my mother. Then once a month, my parents would go in and they'd settle up the bill and then it would start all over again. But there was something about, I never once had in my mind that, how can I expect them to give me this stuff and just walk out of the store? Now, in all honesty, Mrs. Easton was pretty smart. Because as, as kids in the neighborhood, we'd sometimes try and sneak in and you know, get something we weren't sent to get. And somehow she could always tell. She was always able to discern um, when that happened, but there's something about being sent. I, I think about just us. Yeah, many of us in the room. You, you've gone on a short-term mission trip, or some of you have gone to and, and served to serve the city. Or um, we, we did a thing a while back called Northland Jubilee, that that was a community outreach. And on a Saturday, we did a big festival out in the field, and 2,500 to 3,000 of the neighbors would come and. And we'd minister all day. And I'm thinking about that, and I realized that we would act differently at that than we did in our day to day lives. In the way that we interacted with people, in the conversations that we struck up, suddenly we found a courage to pray with people, suddenly we found a boldness or even a desire. To want to, to help somebody in some way, to, to reach out to somebody, that maybe in our normal lives, we'd just walk by. Now that's not a criticism. I'm just trying to make a point that when we believe we're sent to do something by a person who has the authority to send you, there's a power that comes to you. There's a strength that comes to you. All that to say that we're to live that way every day. How many of you are Christians? How many of you have been sent by God? Well, not as many hands. That's a problem. <laughs> if you're a Christian, you've been sent. You've been sent to your world. You've been sent to your family. You've been sent to your job. You've been sent to your neighborhood. And you can walk in a power and authority when you realize you're sent. That if you forget that, you won't do. Okay? That was free. That was that was on the side. But they come back and they're they're all excited because um, they've they've had this wonderful experience of of being sent. Verse 31 says and, and he Jesus says to them come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while for many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. This, this is a, a great thing. Now the guys are even more excited because they come back. It's been a busy ministry time. And Jesus comes up with this idea. He says, man, you, you, we need a break. You guys need a break. We need to take a, 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 a little vacation um, because it says they were so busy. Have you ever been so busy you couldn't eat? You have time to eat? You have to think to eat? You ever get so involved in something that suddenly the whole day goes by and you realize, man, I, I haven't even taken time to sit down and have a sandwich or something. So It was that kind of a life that they were so hectic and so full. And Jesus says, hey, let's take a cruise. Let, let's go to a, a destination resort and, and hang out for a while. Now, now, the scripture says, let's go to a desolate place. Now, nobody would get excited about that. You know, but, but it doesn't mean what it sounds like to us. It means let's go to a quiet place. Let's go to a private place. Let, let's go to a place where there's no crowds. Let's go to a place where we can sort of unplug and unwind. Let's go to that kind of place and hang out for a little bit. Now, in the book of Luke, it gives this account. Um, it says that they're going to a place near in the area of Bethsaida, which happens to be the hometown of, of Philip. Um, and it's a countryside it's a it's a grassed area, a, a, a wonderful place to just have some downtime. And um, Jesus, in his own life, demonstrated the reality and the importance of quiet time. When he would always pull away, countless times in Scripture, you found Jesus going away from the crowds, even leaving his disciples, so that he could spend time with the Father. And I hope that that's a, a daily practice of. of of yours, and especially if you're coming through a time of, uh, of great um, activity, okay, and, and, or stress or pressure, that you find time to, to not just be by yourself, but be by yourself with Jesus, to, to go away with Him, um, to separate yourself, and to be with Him, to develop the discipline, and it is a discipline, of being still, the discipline of being still before Him and, and with Him. So that's the plan, and they're on their way, but their plans got interrupted. Verse 33 says that now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. So when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd and began to teach them many things. I was looking at this count. I figured this this gives us the the ancestry of the first paparazzi. They they, they noticed where they were going, and says that this is it. They're taking a boat, which I assume is probably a straight line, and they ran, which means they had to run around the lake, but got there first. And they're waiting for them. When when Jesus and disciples set sets on shore, here's this massive crowd that comes to them, and and. Jesus couldn't help himself. He just couldn't help himself. He, he had to change gears. Have you ever, have you ever been living life and, and you had all your plans laid out and then life happened? You know what I mean? Someone once said that life happens while we're making other plans. And, and we've all experienced the, the truth of that, the reality that you're caught off guard by life, that, that interruptions, we, we don't like interruptions. We like to have plans and follow those plans through. But sometimes interruptions come. And sometimes those interruptions are actually opportunities that God is orchestrating. Sometimes those interruptions are actual divine opportunities. It's just that they come in disguise. A lot of times opportunities for the miraculous come to us incognito. They come to us not dressed as opportunity for the miraculous. They come to us dressed as inconvenience. I have my plans laid out. This isn't a good time. I can't give energy to that or give thought to that right now. And we never even consider that. Could God be behind this moment? They come dressed as disappointment. You know... Sickness, accidents, rejection, failure, slander, those become experiences in life and experiences that are interruptive and we normally want to just dismiss them and they're not delightful and I'm not saying God sends them, but I am saying could it be an opportunity for Jesus to do something in us and through us? Sometimes they come dressed as deficiency, that's what we're going to find in our text today, that we just don't feel we have what it takes to properly respond to whatever it is, whatever life has presented to us. And so the crowds come and the disciples look at the crowds and they saw the crowds and when they saw them, they had questions. What are these people doing here? I thought we were going to come here to vacation. Why here? Why now? Why is this happening? Why are they interrupting us? When, when we're, Are we ever going to get a break from, from all the busyness of life? And they had questions. Jesus saw the crowd. And it says what? He saw them with compassion. He saw them as sheep without a shepherd. and that doesn't mean a whole lot in our culture today, a sheep without a shepherd. But it meant a whole lot in that setting, because, well, I know the Bible compares us to sheep sometimes, so don't, but don't be insulted, but, but sheep are fairly dumb. Sheep without a shepherd are in danger. Sheep without a shepherd are probably going to die, because sheep instinctively just wander. They have no plan. They have no idea. You just make it up as they go, and they wander. Sheep don't even know how to find food for themselves. They, they don't know how to get themselves to a place where um, they can have their, their, their needs taken care of. They, they can't defend themselves against anything. They, they just can't. They're vulnerable to everything and everything that's out there. And Jesus sees them this way. And he couldn't do anything except receive them. And so he begins teaching. He begins preaching. And when Jesus... When Jesus taught it, you know, it wasn't 40 minutes and done. He taught, and the day's going on, and he's teaching, and he's, and he's speaking and addressing the needs in their lives, and, and um, now, it's, now it's getting later in the day. The disciples are checking their watch, and, and verse 35 says, and when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place. And the hours now late, send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Now the disciples have been pretty patient all day. They know Jesus well enough to know that He wasn't, you know, He was gonna spend some time with these folks. But but they're still thinking about plan A. You know, we're supposed to be on vacation right now. And these people are are sort of messing up the plans. And 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 so they they Take the, the opportunity now that it's getting later in the day, and you can almost, almost see them that backstage they're having this little group meeting and they're talking with each other. Well, what can we do? And how should what should, You know, it's, it's starting to get late, it's going to be done. And then there's all these people and they've been here all day and, and they're going to start getting nasty because they, they've got to be getting hungry. They have nothing to eat all day. And, it's a, and you see, they came up with a solution, they devised the plan and they, they actually called Jesus backstage. You know, sometimes Jesus calls us backstage, but in this case, they called Jesus backstage. They said, uh, Lord, if you, if you don't mind, we need, we need to speak with you for a minute. We, we've got something that'll really, that'll really help you out. We have something that, and they give them his solution. It's late in the day. There's all these people. Why don't we, uh, before it gets dark, so that it's not dangerous for them, let's Dismiss them. Let, let's send them and get, let, so they can go to the, the towns that are around here um, and they'll find food and shelter that way and they'll be able to take care of their needs. And, and I think the disciples are probably very proud of themselves that they came up with such a, 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 a good solution to the problem. And it really made sense and it wasn't a bad idea. It, it, was, it was logical, it was practical, it was even, it was even caring. They, they were considering the people. And the the needs that the people had. And so they came up with this plan. The only problem is they, they made a couple of mistakes. The first one was simply this. They didn't consult Jesus. They told Jesus, this is our plan for you to enforce. I don't know in your journey with the Lord... But I've come to the point in my life when when I see things and and trying to deal with things, I do my best to not come up with solutions. Because I've gone that route many times where I have a great idea. I mean, I have a real workable idea that would solve my problem. But every time I tell the Lord, He never uses it. So now I try to just not come up with ideas, because I know that... Oh, that was a really good idea, and then I get mad that I thought it because I know God's not going to do it that way. I don't know that's just me, maybe. I don't know if any of you realize that God always comes up with his own way. He always seems to come up with his own plan. Um, and so they didn't consult Jesus. The other thing that they forgot about, that they did know, Jesus never sends anyone away. The first statement of their plan, send the people away. That should have told them. This is, this is not Jesus. When people come to him in need, he doesn't send them away. He always receives them. He always has compassion for them. Now, as Christians understand, I'm not saying that we disregard common sense. I'm not saying as we live our lives that, that we don't we don't include the intelligence and common sense that God's given us. I'm not, we're not saying that at all. God has given us those abilities. We don't turn off our brains when we're Christians and then opt for the crazy. We don't look for the crazy. Now, there are some Christians that do, and, and you've probably met some of them along the way. But that's another story. We still use the abilities and gifts that God has given him, but we submit them to him always because our faith should never be limited to what makes sense to us yeah what would your what would your life look like if god always stayed within the parameters of what you understand if he did most of us wouldn't have half the testimonies that we have or more than half if God only operated within the framework of what we understand, what what makes sense to us, God always stretches the boundaries, and that's what He's trying to do with His His disciples here. Um, one of my favorite lines, and I've said it in, in very different in a lot of different settings. God has options we don't. Never never forget that God has options that we don't, and to move out. In things that just make sense to us and try to employ them in life without considering him as a dangerous thing to do. He says in in Isaiah, God says, my ways are higher than yours. My thoughts are, are higher than yours. He has options that we don't have. Manna. Dividing a red sea. Knocking down walls by marching around it seven days silently. Nobody saw those things coming because God has options that we don't understand. That's maybe why the wise men said, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. But in all your ways, acknowledge him, consult him, consider him, bring him into the conversation first. And then he'll make your path straight. Give opportunity in those moments, especially those interruptive moments of life, give opportunity for God to speak and you listen. Sometimes we forget the power of the Selah. You know the Selah in Scripture? Pause and consider. Scripture makes statements a lot of times in the Psalms. their statements and they just say Selah. That means don't don't keep going. Just stop. Just just be still. So stop and, and let this sink in. Let the, let the Spirit of God wash over His Word and wash over your heart. See, they, they forgot about that. The disciples forgot to do that. Their solution wasn't wrong. It was just short-sighted. It was just short-sighted. And I think, I hate to think in my own life the number of times I've, I've been guilty of the same thing, of just running ahead with my idea, never stopping to pause or consider if God had a better one, which he probably did. And I'm wondering that even in situations where maybe God still, in spite of me, added some of his blessing to it, I wonder if there's been times where I've really missed the miraculous because I didn't pause and consider So the disciples present this great idea, right? And it's unanimous. They all agree until they present it to Jesus. Now there's one dissenting vote. Verse 37. But Jesus answered and said, You give them something to eat. They weren't ready for that. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them to sit all to sit down in groups on the gra- on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. So they come with this great idea. Jesus doesn't even really regard or make mention or refer to their idea. He just gives two other options. He gives two other directives. He says, you give them something to eat. Don't send them away. They're hungry. You feed them. It, it, and, he, and he's He's trying to get them to think bigger. If we're going to be a people who sees and experiences the miraculous, we have to be willing to think bigger than ourselves. We have to keep the door open for the power of God in our life, in our circumstance, to move and to operate and do things that we can't do. They, they forgot about that. And, and, and then Jesus says, how many loaves and fish do you have? Go and see. He told them, go take inventory. Go, go through the crowd and find out. What we have to work with, um, and and you know the story. They they come back, and um, Andrew found a boy that had five loaves and two fish. Now, I can't prove this scripturally, but I believe it because I know human nature. They went through a crowd, and if we just go by the count of men, there was five thousand men. All right. Now, if you add women and children, there there, you know, most theologians say there was at least fifteen to twenty thousand, and could be as high as thirty thousand people gathered. Now you can't go through that crowd and come up with just, just five loaves and two fish. I guarantee you there was people who had Hershey bars in their pockets and they just never coughed them up. <laughs> they, they just didn't want to let them go. But we find this one little generous boy. Um, let's pull two things out of this text before we move to the, the next. Number one, real simple. Jesus can use you. Jesus can use you. Do you believe that? Jesus can use you. I'm not sure you do. Tell your neighbor, Jesus can use you. And, and not he can't, he wants to. He wants to use every one of us. He says, you give them something to eat. And look at their, their reaction was very much American. Their reaction fits the American church. Because the reaction was, their solution was to outsource. That's what their solution was. Let, let, oh, here's the problem. Let's send them away. And they can have their needs met out there. You know, we're, sometimes we're like Moses. Great man of God, but God calls him, speaking to him out of a burning bush. And, and Moses says, God, here I am. Send Aaron. Right, and and we tend to do that. We want to outsource. That's a common business strategy. You know, a business finds a third party to do a certain function or produce a certain thing um, for them instead of them gearing up and doing all. And they find out that it's largely it's quicker and it's cheaper in order for them to do it that way. And it's a cost cutting kind of measure. Now, now the disciples' plan was that it was cheaper, it was easier, it was quicker. It would meet the it would meet the need. With minimal effort. Now now that may be good business practice. It's not necessarily good in kingdom building to always be looking to outsource your faith, if you would. Jesus said, I will build my church. Now, do you know how Jesus builds his church? He builds his church with his church. He builds his church with you. He builds His church with me. He doesn't just build His church in us. He builds His church through us as well. We have to get involved. The day of Pentecost, it's known as the the birth of the church, where the Holy Spirit came down and empowered those who were gathered there. And the empowerment wasn't to sit on the sideline, and the empowerment wasn't to say, Lord, here I am, send Aaron. The empowerment was to give you the ability to be sent and do something in your sending and accomplish things for the kingdom's sake because he has empowered you and sent you. Jesus said that you will be a people of greater works. When I send the Holy Spirit, I'm going away. He's going to come and fill you and you're going to do greater works, not not better works. Not higher quality, but greater quantity of work. See, when Jesus sent out the 12, greater works were happening. Jesus was still ministering, but he could only be one place. Now there's 13 services going on. Greater works. And he sends us to do that. Jesus builds his church And he designs his church to be a a gathering together of, of, if you'd allow me to use the phrase, of first responders. We're to see a a need and ask how can I help? How can I help? Now not every need you see is yours to fill. But there are some needs that come your way that only you can fill. And it's an opportunity for God to use you and And you to partner with God in something God wants to do. There's there's that person at work or that kid in the classroom that everybody else makes fun of. Maybe Jesus wants to turn to you and say, you give them something to eat. There's the single mom who's just overwhelmed by life. Why don't you give her something to eat? There's the young person who needs a spiritual parent. You give them something to eat. See, we, we want to see the kingdom advanced. We all sing the songs and clap our hands. We, we, we shout. We want to see God glorified. We look around us and see all the brokenness. But do we sit down and see the brokenness and go before the Lord and say, God, how can I help? What can I do? What's your assignment for me in this? Or is it call the pastor and tell them what they should do? Or You know, Someone gives, tells you about a need, and you say, oh, I'll, I'll be praying for you about that. Why are you going to be praying for them about it? You give them something to eat. Man, can I, can I pray with you? I, you know, I, I believe that God cares about that situation. Do you, do you mind if we pray together about that? See, you, you give them something to eat. You know one of the reasons I love the food bank? Because we don't outsource the problem that it's filled with a bunch of first responders. People are hungry, and we give them food. And along with giving them food, they get a lot more. They get attention. They get compassion. They get genuine care. They get an opportunity to be prayed with and ministered to. See, now, if we wanted to, and it would be a lot easier and quicker, we could just send a check to Mid-Ohio Food Bank because they're the gathering place and distribute stuff everywhere. We could just send them a check every month and say, there, aren't we nice? We're feeding the poor. You get it? We can't outsource our faith. That's the first observation. The second one is this. Faith does the improbable so that it can experience the impossible. Faith does the improbable. If you're going to walk with Jesus, get used to the improbable. Jesus says, go and find out how many loads you have. See see what's around, and and then have the people sit down. Now, they needed supplies to feed some, say, 20,000 people. How probable was it? How likely was it that in going through the crowd, they were going to collect and gather enough food to meet that need? Not very likely. How, How likely was it? I don't know if you've ever done crowd control. If there's 20,000 people, and you want to get 20,000 people to sit in groups of 50 and 100. Enough said. It wasn't wasn't likely. And I tell you, in your life, you're going to find out something. And you probably already have. That there's many times where you're going to have a need, or see a need. And you're going to compare the size of the need... To the size of your ability. And I promise you this. You're always going to come up short. You're always going to be on the, the short end of that. It, it, it's, it just happens that way. You'll, you'll always look at the need. The size of the need. What it's going to take to supply and satisfy the need. And then you're going to gather and look at what you have. And you're going to say. It's not enough. It's just not enough that that's a decision moment because that may be a point where many of us walk away or we say well hey must not be God because we don't have enough there's a there's a branch of mathematics that's dedicated to probability studies Um, basically they look at and try and consider what's the chance that there could be a a random set of events that happen and will produce an outcome in the future that we can know and predict. The probability studies, such as tossing a coin, throwing a dice, picking one card out of a pile of cards. Can I tell you something? Las Vegas survives on probability studies. The house always wins It's because they've done the probability studies and, and they know it's always gonna be in their favor. Our God loves asking us to do the improbable. He does. See, how probable was it when God talks to Moses, because the people are dying of thirst, and he says, Moses, go go talk to the rock. How probable was he going to be able to satisfy the thirst of maybe a million people? Go talk to the rock. And hope they don't lock you up because you're talking to a rock how probable was it that this, this little young david shepherd kid was going to go out in the field and kill a giant how probable was it with the chances how, how probable was it when when peter and the, and the and the other his friends were fishing all night long caught nothing how probable was it when jesus said they're exhausted they're tired and he said Throw your nets on the other side of the boat. It wasn't it was probable, yet God calls us to the improbable many times. It seems to be one of the ways God most commonly works with us. He asks us to do the improbable, not the impossible. He'll never ask you to do the impossible. But He may ask you to do something that when you do your probability studies, they, they don't add up. They don't match up. He asks us to do improbable things. Like hate or love that person that hates you. He asks us for the improbable. He says the way you're going to find forgiveness or the way you're going to find freedom is by f- forgiving the person who doesn't deserve to be forgiven. That's improbable to us. We, we give to, to gain. We lose our lives to find our lives. We die to live. Those are all improbabilities. But yet we're called to them. And in our text, if the disciples didn't embrace the improbable, they would have never experienced the impossible. If they weren't willing to do what Jesus asked of them, they would have never experienced what only Jesus could do through them. Listen, don't limit God to the probable. Don't limit God to just what you can understand. In your circumstance right now, in your situation right now, don't restrict God. To your limitations. Jairus' daughter, Jairus got, the, got word that his daughter had died. He had gone to get Jesus to come and heal his daughter. He gets message in route that your daughter's died. Let the master go on his way because it's, it's just too late. And Jesus turns. And that, that was the probable thing to do. But Jesus turns to Jairus and says, only believe. Yeah. Only believe. I know it feels improbable unlikely, but believe. He, he didn't ask him to do the miracle. He asked him to do something improbable. It's not probable that I should believe when they just told me the news they told me. But he was with the creator of the universe. Only believe. And I think at this point the disciples are probably starting to get a little excited. They've been around Jesus long enough to recognize it. It's He's getting ready to do something. Something's afoot. Verse 41, Jesus, taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing and he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all and they all ate and were satisfied. You've seen this picture where they give Jesus their little. They give Jesus their improbability. They give Jesus their, their um, insufficiency. We come to, to the Lord in, in those times of need and, and we give him our little. We give him our little resources. We give him our little understanding. We give him our little knowledge. We give him our little job. We give him our little um, experiences. We give him our little skill and talents. And, and we just leave them in his hands. Can I tell you something? When they brought to Jesus and gave him loaves and fishes, they weren't giving him loaves and fish. They were giving him their obedience. They had obeyed. They didn't challenge. They didn't argue. Jesus said, "Go, do," and they went and did. They're bringing him their obedience, and this and that's really good news for us. That we don't have to come up with a solution to our own need. We only need to obey His word. We can't come up with the solution to our own need, or we would. We can obey His word. See, I can't fix the problem, but I can obey. I can't make a job appear but I can obey. I can't change that person's mind, but but I can obey. You see, we can obey. There's a lot of things you can't do about your circumstance right now, but you can obey. Do you understand that? There's no situation in life that Jesus calls us to obey that we're not able to obey. The devil cannot make you do it. We can obey if we choose to. We can obey. And then in their by giving and surrendering their obedience, Jesus accepts what they bring. And the miracle happens in his hands. He, he, he blesses the loaves and the fish. And then in his hands, it says that he breaks and he divides them. In his hands and in his hands suddenly their little becomes much. Suddenly their not enough becomes more than enough. Their obedience becomes abundance in his hands. And then something even more phenomenal. He takes from his hands as he breaks and divides it and he puts it in their hands. And they feed the people. They turn the famine into a feast. They take what he gives them, which is a giving back of what he, they had entrusted to him, more than what they could have ever imagined, because he added his power to it. Now, don't, dis, don't, don't miss this point. He works the miracle, but he entrusts us with the distribution. He puts in our hands the responsibility of the distribution. Of what it is he does in the earth. He accomplishes the work. But he puts it in his disciples hands. to then go and share it with others. Did you ever notice in the New Testament. When people received miracles from the Lord. They they couldn't help but tell other people. Even when he told them don't tell anybody. They went out and told everybody. There's something about the miraculous. And if God's done anything in your life. Can you think of a moment where God has done something in your life. That's a miracle. If God is, any, anytime God moves in our lives on any way, and any level, it, it's miraculous to us. And when he intervenes and we can see and identify those moments, our job is distribution. Our job is taking what he's done and letting others know, bringing the good news to other people, starting with your salvation. Your salvation's a miracle. You know, people say, oh, I found the Lord. I understand the sentiment. You didn't find nothing. The Holy Spirit came after you. God came after you. Your salvation is a miracle. You were going to hell and now you're going to heaven. You're looking forward to eternal death. Now you're looking forward to eternal life. That's a miracle. You, You couldn't do it on your own. It couldn't happen any other way. That's a miracle. But having received the miracle, now we're responsible to carry and distribute that testimony to others, that good news to others. It starts with your gifts and your abilities. Why are you good at the things you're good at? Why are you good at carpentry, but you're not good at electronics? Why are you good at teaching, but you're not good at accounting? why why what are those certain interests and gifts and skills that you have you can't take credit for them they're in you they came from some place they came from your designer they came from your creator they are in you and that's a m- miraculous thing that's an amazing thing i look at i look at artists who can sculpt or paint or design and i'm amazed i'm amazed And what that skill, that gift, that talent can do. What a shame if God doesn't get the credit for it. See, God does miracles in our lives more than we account for sometimes. And it's for a purpose, for our good. But it's also for his glory. And so, so I'm saying that just to say this. Don't be selfish with your miracles. Don't be selfish with the things that God has done in your life. Don't be selfish about the investment that God has. You have a story to tell. Even if you're waiting for the next one. Even if you're in the midst of a, a, a struggle right now where you need a miracle. Trust the Lord. He'll walk with you through it. Stay close to Him. But in the meantime, keep telling the story. Keep distributing that which He's already deposited in your care. That's how His kingdom is manifested in the earth. His disciples were faithful with their distribution. And as a result, it says that everybody was filled. Everybody was satisfied. All that came, their hunger was satisfied. And 12 baskets left over. The kingdom advanced. I'm going to ask you to stand. Um, I, have, I have two endings. The first ending asks a question saying, "What? where do you need God's intervention in your life? Is there some part of your life right now where you really need to see God move? You need God to do something. Or it's not going to change. I would ask you and encourage you to take time even this week and, and pause with him. And ask, what is he ask, what's he asking of you in this time, in this thing? You know you can't fix it. But what, what is he asking of you during this time? And if you're not sure what that is, ask him to tell you what it is. Lord, what's my assignment in that? What, what are you asking of me to do? in this need that, that I have or that maybe it's you don't have maybe someone else that's close to you or you're aware of what, what's, what do you want me to do how can I, how can I help in this area of, of need and then walk in obedience because if it ends at that point if there's no obedience that follows his request then there probably won't be anything after that And in the meantime, be very intentional about looking at your life and, and earmarking, maybe writing down those moments where you know God intervened on your behalf. And then ask yourself this question. Look at, look at your list and say, who have I told? Who have I encouraged with this reality? who have who has seen the glory of god through my distribution of the goodness that he's entrusted in my life and shown in my life and i challenge you to do that we don't control miracles but i believe we can set the stage for them i, I believe we can Set of anticipation and environment in which God is free to move. My second ending is simply this, and it's sort of an odd way of ending the service, and it's not typical for me. But but I trust you'll be gracious enough just to just to hear it. I I believe I heard the Lord say something to me yesterday. and it's to, it's to us. It's to the leadership. It's to pastors, staff, elders, and congregation. And I just want you to hear it. Um, as with any other kind of extra-biblical word, I, I challenge you, just hear it and then weigh it. Okay, hear it, then weigh it. And then based on that, you do what you do with it. But l- let me just let me just say it as I as I believe I heard it. A- and the impression was that as a church family, we're we're living out this story today that we just walked through in Scripture. I, I-, I believe the Lord impressed me saying that we're in the midst of the miraculous as a church. That there's people coming that we don't know about and they're hungry. That in their coming, it may at times feel to us like an interruption, disruptive, intrusive of what we desire or what we had planned or had hoped. And that as that happens, our instructions from the Lord are, give them something to eat. Don't think about sending them away or coming up with other plans. He's bringing them. So give them something to eat. And that the time that we've gone through and are still going through is a time of preparation. Where we've been asked to take inventory of what we have and Surrender it to him. And we've done that to the best of our ability. And I think God says that he is blessed with our obedience. He is honored with our obedience. And that he's in the process of now breaking and dividing. That which we've given to him. We've given him our little. And he's in the process of breaking and dividing that little. Into something that will be glory and honor for his name. And that soon he's going to put back in our hands the responsibility of of caring for and meeting the needs of those that he brings. But that right now, this is a time for the seeding of the people. That's how I heard it, speaking of us, the seeding of the people. That those who are part of this house... Or to find their place so they can receive the provision of God, but not just for themselves. But that then we will be able and apt and equipped to feed those that he sends. I believe we're in the midst of a miracle. What's unfolding is, is a lot of times, like, like in a building, there's excavation work. It happens underground. And, It's not as exciting and sometimes hardly even aware of it. And we've been through that process, but it won't be a real long time from now where things are going to start being more visible. And as a congregation, God is preparing us and making us and challenging us to be ready to receive what he's doing and to even partner with him in what he's doing. That's going to be a corporate responsibility and it's going to be a personal responsibility that each one of us carry. Some news you're going to get excited about. Some things you're going to say, oh man, (laughs) really? But there's a foundation here that I believe the Lord's laid that we can refer back to. If you hear this, if you receive it, in faith as as something the Lord encouragement from the Lord then tuck it away in your heart and over the next coming months and even next couple of years let the Holy Spirit bring this back to us so that we're reminded and ready it's a new day God's always doing a new thing and we want to be a part of it how many, you know when the exciting thing for the disciples, they got to be right in the middle of God, God's miraculous power and work. They had a front row seat. And then he even allowed them to have get their hands involved. I want that. I, I, do you want that? You, would you like to be a part of some miraculous thing that God wants to do in our city, in our community? And this is the time to to prepare and surrender our hearts. Father, here we are. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the encouragement of it. We thank you for the instruction and direction that it brings us. Your word is life. And your word is light. It feeds us and it guides us. Lord, we receive your word today. I I pray you help Every one of us. In those areas of of need today. Lord, in those areas where your sons and daughters need your help. They need your intervention. In the affairs of their life, God, show up strong. Give them insight and wisdom. To recognize your voice and your direction. And then God, do what only you can do. Lord, I pray for us as a church. That we, Lord, would would grow, stir us up with with a a heart and a spirit to see your kingdom advance through our efforts, through our obedience, through our investment of time and energy and prayer and fasting. So, God, I thank you for your word that brings life. I thank you for your people that carry that life and share it freely. I pray your blessing upon them. I pray for your peace and your joy to go with them. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. God bless you. Remember, those who want to stay, gather over here for the, little, the time of gathering if, if you have any interest in that. God bless you.